you are listening to episode 11 of the modern witch podcast available on itunes or at www.themodernwitchpodcast.com today's show is hosted by Devin hunter with special guest judica illis stay tuned the modern witch podcast is about to start And welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. This is your host, Devin Hunter. Uh, for those of you who are celebrating, who did celebrate Thanksgiving, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Um, and if you're not celebrating Thanksgiving, then I want to wish you a happy winter. Um, I hope that's that's uh, starting off well for you. And if you're not in a part of the world that celebrates winter, then I hope you're having a great spring. Um, yes, it's a very fascinating planet. There's lots of stuff going on. Um, I gave Chaz Bogan and Storm Fairy Wolf the episode off again. The, of course, you know, running the Mystic Dream, um, is which is the store that I manage and they own. Um, it takes a lot this time of year. So it is the holiday season here in America. Um, so give them the time off. They'll be back next month, though. So no worries there. Uh, that's okay, though, because that gives me and you some time to just sit down and talk. So I'm glad that you uh, downloaded episode 11. Um, this episode, this, the first part of this episode, I want to really discuss, um, some of the ideas of awareness. Um, there's a lot going on that I, I don't know if you're aware of. Um, I know I wasn't aware of a lot of it till recently. And I think that as modern practitioners, as modern people, it is our job to be very much aware of what's happening in the world around us. So the first part of the show is going to be a little more heavy than, than I think, um, it usually is, uh, because there's some topics that are some pretty scary topics. Um, that we really need to be conscious of, uh, because if we're not, then who is, you know, and, and some of these things are a threat to paganism. So let's go ahead and get started. The first thing I want to talk about um, is the witch burnings in Ghana. There was a 72-year-old grandmother who was um, tortured for days and then finally uh, admitted to being a witch, and then they poured kerosene on her and burned her alive. And that's a really... Um, horrifying idea and i'm sure you know as as we were going through a lot of us go through and we, we start our pagan studies some of the first things we learn are about um you know the inquisition and and the the witch trials in salem and in different parts of the world and and that always kind of gives us this this kind of spooky grounding and in, in the reality of history um, but the the witch burnings are still happening and if you've been following the show um since the beginning we i've talked about the children um in Africa and in South Africa uh, being, you know, burned alive and, and all the things that they ended up going through. And the thing to know about that part of the world is that uh, it's poverty. I mean, poverty to the, to its lowest. And it's that, that alone is a very scary thing because when we think of poverty, we think of, you know, homeless people in the city or we think of people who, um, you know, can't pay their bills. Take that, multiply it by a thousand. Uh, these people are riddled with, you know, disease everywhere they look. Um, you know, we think of AIDS and the AIDS crisis and hepatitis and um, the flu that is just crazy in Africa. Um, people are dying left and right. Uh, there is not enough food. There is no money. Um, and so, of course, these religious groups uh, kind of swoop in to save the day, so to speak. And out of that... Um, comes these really scary doctrines about uh, witchcraft and, and Satan worship and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the extreme of that. Uh, this is the latest in a very long history of, of burning people alive um, there in Africa. And, and, you know, and you ask yourself, well, what can I do about it? You know, it's in Africa. 
what you can do is, you know, again, as a thinking person, as a witch who understands that our spiritual ancestors, um, whether they were or were not um, actual practicing witches, um, were burned alive. And they are part of our people. They are part of our culture. They are part of our history. And we need to be conscious and aware of these things that are still happening. As a witch, I'm really... Um, you know, offended. And I'm, and I'm really scared for these people, what they're going through. And so, you know, what can I do? Well, I can light some candles. I can do a ritual. I can send some energy. And that's what I, that's what I can do. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, and I encourage you to do the same, you know, um, whatever it is that you can do, do, you know, it takes one seed, one little seed to affect the entire world. And so I recommend that you do that as well. Aside from that, probably um, the biggest topic in this this little intro to the show is the idea that um, the environmentalist movement is under attack, and by proxy, paganism is under attack. Um, now, let me let me explain this a little more. There is a, a, a an extremist um, evangelical group that is out there um, promoting this idea of resisting the green dragon. That's kind of what they're they're coining the movement um and the green dragon essentially is paganism and environmentalism and how they go hand in hand and so they're attacking environmentalism and the science behind environmentalism and they're trying to say that a lot of this environmentalism is really a political move and that it puts uh, the needs of the of the planet uh, above the needs of the people and well yeah I mean, not not necessarily that you know the environmentalist movement is is rejecting of 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 the people of the planet, but it definitely is fostering an awareness of the impact of the people on the planet. Um, most of the environmentalist movement really it goes also hand in hand when we think of like fair trade. Um, we think of uh, the the UN peace efforts to go in and and uh, foster new ways of energy production to get rid of you know child sweatshops and things like that. So. To me, it's all kind of hand in hand, and that movement, the environmentalist movement, goes very coined with the Green Movement, um, which is a political party here and in different parts of the, of the world, um, and that all derived from the feminist movement, um, which it goes hand in hand with paganism. All of it goes hand in hand with paganism, um, and these people are aware of that, and so they're using the environmentalist movement um, a kind of as a scapegoat for attacking not just these people who are trying to produce um, a, an education for the for the people of the world to see how you know burning fossil fuels affects us how um, you know digging for oil affects us we just look at the gulf and what happened with the gulf um, you know and that's hey it happens I understand that it happens but it's not the fact that it happened it's the fact that uh, it happened so quickly and nobody was able to really get a hold on it and it lasted for days and days and days and a lot of nature was lost a lot of uh, creatures lost their lives uh, a lot of people lost their jobs. I mean, this is all goes hand in hand with environmentalism. And so they're taking these ideas and these concepts and they're using it against um, the environmentalist movement and paganism. And they're trying to say that this is faulty science and that it's all fueled by political endeavors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you and I know better than that. Um, but these are what these people are doing. So I want to take a moment um, and I want to share with you a short video clip um, of what is being called resist the green dragon 
um, and the green dragon being this this green movement. Um, and this is, again, coming from a very um, spooky kind of extremist Christian evangelical group. And I've got nothing against Christians. I was, you know, my family's Christian. I was raised partly Christian. And I love the, the concepts at the core. Everything else is crap. Um, what people do to it is is horrible. I think the Christ con- concept is beautiful, and I I definitely try to look up to that as a model of of what it means to be a good person, giving and loving freely, and those kind of things. But what what the doctrination of of these beliefs did to people is disgusting, and we all know that most of us um, as pagans have left Christianity because it was a lot of brainwashing. It was a lot of telling everybody you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you're going to go to hell. Well, no, we're not going to go to hell. But these are these people who were raised in this belief, who um, took these ideas and gave allowed it to give them power in a very negative way. Um, it's not serving their soul. It's serving their ego. Um, it's not serving the planet. It's serving their pocketbooks. And so this is a short video clip from a video again called resist the green dragon. And when I, was when I saw this on the Wild Hunt blog. If you have, if you're not a blog person and you have like one pagan news source, check out the Wild Hunt. Um, it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal um, pagan blog where there's a lot of news. There's a lot of um, information that gets filtered through there. So check that out. It's just the Wild Hunt blog org. Um, Okay, so back on Sunday. So this video is again like just a two and a half minute trailer for a much longer DVD. Um, and a book that explains all this. And of course, you can purchase all this for a very nominal fee um, because, it, it, again, it's all about money. Um, so, yeah, so you can purchase this for, for a fee, uh, but this short video trailer is is um, part of the, the presentation of, of this whole movement. And uh, when I got a hold of it, I went to the website and I signed up and I signed up with a couple different websites that were talking about this. And I was able to get another video, um, and I posted that on my live journal. So if you are, if you're interested in it, go to uh, livejournal.com slash Devin underscore Hunter. And uh, that's my live journal blog, and you can check that out. Um, now, I, I'm going to warn you, I, I don't censor myself as much in my blog as I do here. Um, but yeah, so I posted that on my, my, my live journal. So check that out if you're interested. It The the longer video is a 12-minute video, and it is a private video from this website. So I kind of uh, cheated, and I gave you the password so you can watch the video. So I do recommend checking that out. Um, really spooky stuff. So let's take a minute. Let's listen to this. And I want you to hear how the modern pagan movement is under attack. In what has become one of the greatest deceptions of our day, radical environmentalism is striving to put America and the world under its destructive control. This so-called green dragon is seducing your children in our classrooms and popular culture. Its lust for political power now extends to the highest global levels. And its twisted view of the world elevates nature above the needs of people, of even the poorest and the most helpless. With millions falling prey to its spiritual deception, the time is now to stand and resist. Around the world, environmentalism has become a radical movement, something we call the Green Dragon. And it is deadly. Deadly to human prosperity, deadly to human life, deadly to human freedom, and deadly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, environmentalism is no longer your friend. It is your enemy. 
And the battle is not primarily political or material, it is spiritual. As a former pastor, I'm always on the alert to threats to the Christian faith. And make no mistake about it, environmentalism is exactly that. It is its own religion. The environmental movement has actually become what I call the cult of the green dragon. And we need to be prepared as Christians to rescue people from that cult. Increasingly, I believe Bible-believing Christians are becoming aware and as a result, more concerned about the underlying philosophy of the radical environmental agenda and how it's pointing people away from God and into humanism. Environmentalists have a long history of believing and promoting exaggerations and myths. Environmental science simply does not have a good track record, not at all. Their false assertions are based more on their own morbid, pessimistic fears, not on any good science. Exaggeration, myths, and outright lies are commonplace in the environmental movement. When we think about science, we think about the truth. Yet in so-called global warming science, we've gotten a lot less than the truth many times. And yet the policies that environmental groups and even these evangelical groups got behind were ones that would uh, consign the poorest of people around the world to grinding poverty, to disease, to premature death. Folks, this shouldn't happen. We need to stop the war on the poor. And scaring little children to achieve your political ends uh, is reprehensible. As Christians, we must actively trust God and obey his word. So when it comes to environmental stewardship, we must reject the false worldview, the faulty science, and the counterfeit gospel that threatens to corrupt society and the church. We must exercise wise dominion over the magnificent planet God has entrusted to us. And all right, so... Yeah, it was pretty spooky. And again, you know, when when one of the things that was said in the video is uh, that we that they have to save people from environmentalism um, for the good of our you know, our good of our souls. It's really creepy stuff. This is propaganda. Now, when I think of propaganda, I think of Nazi Germany. I think of propaganda against Jews, homosexuals, and gypsies. I think of propaganda uh, being, you know, videos and information that was put out here in America against Japanese people who were living in America during World War II. Propaganda has always been used to get people on the bandwagon, uh, to get people to support a specific cause. And in a way, you know, this the show and the things that I talk about, it's kind of propaganda too. Um, however, I don't, of course, approach it into the extremes that these people are approaching it. Um, it's a scary thought that the ideas and the concepts of environmentalism and paganism are under attack in the way that they are. And of course, you know, hey, it's it's always been under attack. This, however, really was this wonderful, beautiful package. Um, and I was kind of, and that to me was one of the most shocking things is that if you watch the video, it's very well edited, it's very professional looking, it's very hip and modern, and you can tell that it's it's directed towards a, a, uh, a younger generation. Um, and along with the website and the book and all these things. So really creeped me out we are under attack there is no getting around it um and i can argue with people to the day is long but this is an example of how paganism modern paganism modern witchcraft modern awareness of our planet is under attack now i know that every pagan is not an environmentalist i i understand that um you know some of the pagans that i, I love and respect um that are around me 
don't believe in global warming, um, don't believe in, you know, climate change and, and glaciers melting and things. And I don't understand how they do that. Um, there is an overwhelming amount of scientific information. There's an overwhelming amount of I, you know, witness accounts of, of these things in, in effect. And um, some people choose to close their eyes and bury their head in the sand because it's easier to deny something than to make an effort to change it. And um, so, I, but uh, hey, that's me. Um, but so in, in, in effect, you know, the, I, I get that not every pagan is an environmentalist. However, um, paganism itself establishes a stewardship to our earth, establishes a stewardship to the planet and the people of the planet. And as more people are being attracted to paganism, one of these ways that people are hearing the, the words, you know, of paganism, the philosophies of paganism, um, you know, that of being a free thinker, that of being responsible for our impact on the planet and to change that and to help the world grow in a positive way um, is through the environmentalist movement. And so and I know you heard it there in the video. It is an attack against paganism. Um, they're looking at the environmentalist movement as being a form of paganism. And it kind of is. Um, and, you know, and then the, the longer video really addresses that topic and really goes into, you know, how we, they need to fight pagans and da, 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 da. really creepy stuff. We need to be aware. Um, what can you do about it? You can you can spread the word that this is happening. You can become aware. You can stand up for your beliefs and your rights as an as well as citizens of, you know, whatever country. Um, as as a religious person, you can stand up for your rights, and you can spread the word that this stuff's happening. We need to be aware of this. Um, so I give that to you. And again, if you want to check out the fuller length video, you can go to my live journal account, which is just livejournal.com/slash Devin with an I underscore Hunter. Um, you can see the videos, and again, I put I posted the passwords. So you can watch the full length video. Um, Onto a little lighter subject, uh, scientists have discovered, and this just came out on the 27th, um, the BBC posted this, uh, scientists discovered that the Big Bang, so we think of the Big Bang being the creation of the universe, um, is actually one of a series of Big Bangs that happen over, you know, billions and gazillions of years. And so we are living, we are the product of an aeon um, that was started with our Big Bang, um, but our Big Bang came from many big bang so the idea is with the original big bang theory was that there was nothingness and then there was a big bang and you know then you know the laws of nature were produced and planets were created and and somehow from all this this movement we were created as a species you know and, and evolution and all that jazz um with this newer kind of discovery um, what they were able to find was that there was there's radiation that that happens during the Big Bang. And at some point in time, the radiation cools off. And when it cools off enough, then it spurs another Big Bang. And so the idea is that this is all a very cyclical motion, that there's Big Bang after Big Bang after Big Bang after Big Bang, and that this is a continuing process. So as a pagan, what this does to me is it kind of reestablishes my, you know, my belief that we all come from the goddess. And, you know, to me, the god and the goddess are all one one entity. And I mostly refer to them with my students and my lectures and things as uh, God herself, because um, I think God is a dual energy. And I think it's very androgynous. But um, 
what this does is it supports that idea that that we all go through this cycle. And so it, it it's much bigger than just life. When we think of, you know, plants and nature and, and the human existence and life and death, it, it's much bigger than that. You know, it, we are just one little tiny speck um, and a much bigger cyclical motion. So I thought that was interesting. I wanted to share that with you. Um, Moving on, so we have a wonderful guest um, who joined us in the studio, Judica Illis, and she is phenomenal. She blew me away. Uh, she's one of those encyclopedias, you know, and of course she wrote the Element Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells, um, the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft. She wrote the Encyclopedia of um, Spirits, um, and she just wrote, and she's writing a couple other projects that are other encyclopedias. Her books were a little hard to find here in the States, um, and we addressed that. I know um, certain books that she wrote, you can only find at Barnes and Noble. There's a lot of um, scary kind of, you know, um, stuff being said about that, that Barnes and Noble was buying up all of the books so that people couldn't cast spells and stuff. And we talk about all of that um, in the interview, but she really is just an amazing mind. And uh, I was happy to, to be able to pick it. Um, so I think you're going to love the interview. I, and so definitely stay tuned for that. Um, but before we go there, I want to talk to you guys real quick. I have, a, I have a request and I don't usually do this. Um, but there is a young boy who is fighting for his life in Cincinnati, Ohio. He is the son of one of my initiates and, um, his name is David Harold Bush, um, the third, and he is, uh, he's, was diagnosed with a blood disorder called ITP. And the blood disorder, essentially, uh, his immune system is attacking his body, and it's not allowing his platelets, his blood platelets, to produce fast enough and to produce, you know, enough. So this, this is something that he's been fighting for quite some time. Um, we were a little scared that it was a, mu a much bigger, bigger issue. Um, and this is a big issue, but we, we were scared it was something else for a while. Um, but... He's in and out of the hospital, and I mean, they couldn't even, you know, enjoy their Thanksgiving. They couldn't do any of these things. It's been going on for a couple of months. Um, it's got uh, me, uh, me very horrified. It's got people uh, very scared, and because we do love this kid, he's he's a total awesome little energetic pagan boy. Um, he's seven years old, and he's fighting for his life. So I, I want to ask you. Um, to please send some healing energies. His name is, again, David Harold Bush. He's in Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, if if you could send anything, just love, healing energy. Um, you know, his mother um, had just gotten out of the hospital with um, issues with cancer. The day that she gets back from the hospital, he collapsed. Um, and since then, it's just been this this roller coaster between taking him in and out of the emergency room in the hospitals. Um so again, if you could send some energy to, to both of them, because there's so much going on, it's such a strain, um, and it's a very kind of scary, dark time to to be going through during the holiday season. So if you could do that again, David Harold Bush the third, um, and for Davy, um, I want to play a song, um, Firebird by S.J. Tucker. It is his favorite song, and he can sing it very loudly. Um, so I'm going to play this for you, Davey. And uh, after the song, we're going to be back with our interview with Judica Ellis. I am the firebird. I am his daughter. I am the firebird's child. I am the firebird. I am his daughter. And like the flame, I am wild, 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 wild. His daughter, I am the firebird's child. I am the firebird, the boldest song you've ever heard. Join in 
Song you've ever heard 
When you are searching for spirit, it's time to enter the mystic dream. We are a metaphysical and magical marketplace specializing in books, tools, and services for the spiritual journey. We are proud to offer a diverse selection of candles, herbs, oils, ritual tools, crystals, and art from a myriad of cultures and spiritual paths. Visit our Walnut Creek, California location, where we are host to some of the most talented readers and spiritual arts practitioners around. Tarot, runes, psychic readings, Reiki, astrology, massage. We also offer custom consultations and conjure work, such as setting lights and ritual work to help you meet your magical needs. Visit us on the web at www.themysticdream.com for our ever-growing online store, as well as our listing of classes and events. Or call us at 925-933-2342. The Mystic Dream, where ancient wisdom meets the new aeon. Welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. Today's pagan pop culture for the Modern Witch. In the studio with me today is Utica Ellis. Um, and you might know her from her encyclopedia, our Elemental Encyclopedia series. Um, and her work has really become kind of standard. Um, and she's definitely a household name among witches and pagans today. So Utica, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So how long have you been practicing the craft? I guess the key word is practice because the word practice can be... Um, understood in various different ways. Uh, The thing you have to know about me is that I learned how to read really, really young. My mother, uh, my parents came to America shortly before I was born, and my mother taught herself English by teaching me how to read when I was three. And so I've been reading for a long time. I have a much older sister She's a dozen years older than I am, and so when I was six, she started college, and she went to college in New York City near where the old Samuel Weiser bookstore was, and, and you know, we're going back some years, and today, you know, there are metaphysical stores all over the place, but way back when, it was very rare to have a store devoted to esoterica, devoted to, to metaphysical subjects, and Samuel Weiser's bookstore, which is the precursor, ironically, of my publisher today, it was one of the first. It was really revolutionary at the time. And my sister came home with astrology books, numerology, palmistry, all sorts of spiritual subjects. She brought home a deck of tarot cards, and I would just you know, wait by the door for her to come home and just pretty much um, mug her. You know, She brought home <laughs> records, too. But I, I just took whatever she brought home and I, I consumed them. And, uh, you know, so it's hard for me to say when people say, how long have you been practicing? You know, on a formal level, you know, I wasn't in a coven until I was in my 20s, but I've been doing this all my life. Literally, I, I cannot remember a time that, I, you know, that on some level I, I wasn't, it, this wasn't part of my life. This is this is 24-7 for me, always. And, and the, the, it's definitely apparent. I mean, you know, your work itself, um, when you go through one of the one of the – it's kind of an interesting story. With For me, um, I was given um, your – what is it? The Elemental Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells mm-hmm. um, by a boyfriend of mine at the time. Um, <laughs> and that right. was his – that was kind of his way of, of, of saying, I acknowledge that you practice – 
I acknowledge. Really <laughs> you know, nice. it was oh, it was totally sweet. And it was this this grand kind of gesture. It always for makes him. me happy because I I people write to me and they tell me you know you know where they got my books or how they found my books and. I never really expected anyone to read my books, so that really brings me—it brings me a lot of joy when people tell me that. I did not set out to be a metaphysical writer. It, you know, I had no grand plan. I have been doing this all my life, and I—I I pretty much have lived a lot of my life amongst the muggles, and I think that you know I, I'm always having to explain something, which, you know, in the long run has probably made me a better writer. My first manuscript was actually on fertility. I have this huge, still unpublished manuscript on uh, various approaches, traditional approaches to enhancing and healing fertility and infertility. It, It ended up on a desk at Element Books, the original Element Books, which has, you know, since been bankrupt and ended up being bought by HarperCollins, but um, it was rejected. They didn't like the topic, but there was a chapter on magic spells, and they asked, like, you know, could you could you expand this? And I said, oh, you know, well, yeah, of course, because it was it's so second nature to me. I was very surprised that that's actually what anybody wanted. So as you say that, you know, the, the craft has just kind of always been a part of you, um, what are some of your earliest magical experiences? That's a tough question. Um, I don't know, earliest magical experiences. You know what? Really, I've been playing and practicing all my life. Some people say that they always, you know, when they ask, they want the dramatic experiences. I think my my first real encounter with condition oils was sort of dramatic. I Conditional oils, for those who are not familiar with them, are formula oils. So it's, it's magic in a bottle. And um, you'll go into stores. Well, I mean, now you can buy them online, and you know, there's all sort of there's all sort of sorts of formulaic oils. And my books have formulas for them, recipes, so that you can make your own. And there's protection oil and love oil and money oils, and some of them have very catchy names. But I was at a friend's house. She actually it was not quite my friend yet. It, she was a teacher who, who was reading my cards. And we're going back to the 80s now. And I was in a very kind of, I kind of had a creepy situation at work. I was working with sort of um, unpleasant people. And it it was creepy enough that even she got uncomfortable with it. And as I left, she grabbed a cotton ball, stuck it in a bottle of protection oil and said, here, put this in your pocket and, you know, you know, go be safe. And, I lived in Hoboken, New Jersey at the time, and this, she was in New York City, and I, I left, and to get from New York City to Hoboken, you have to take a train. It's like a subway train, a path train. And I got on the train, and the interesting thing was that this oil, which she had just stuck in my pocket, and I hadn't been aware of it, and I'd even forgotten that it was there, but the smell kept um, intensifying and then de-intensifying and I think it was reacting to my surroundings in certain moments people moved away from me which was just an amazing thing I think they were responding to this oil and it it was not unpleasant smelling but you know for various parts of my journey home there was this like wide um, just like almost like a moat around me and I was very impressed with it and I that was probably my first foray into really seriously studying condition oils. 
So one of the things I'm, – I'm from Ohio and from Appalachia. So, you know, we had powwow magic and, you know, kind of things like that. And that was the environment which I grew up in. Then I moved out to California and there's like a huge, huge hoodoo influence out here. Yeah. Um, but that's new. I mean, because I used to live in California. I mean, hoodoo – that – the resurgence of hoodoo is really very 21st century. I mean, it's very much – when I was writing about it, it was still – and this is – well, I mean, this is uh, the beginning of the 21st century. It was still a little bit under the table. It wasn't quite as well known as it is now. There's been this incredible resurgence in the last couple of years. I lived in California in the 90s, and it wasn't there yet. I mean, I, and I think it's just getting stronger. It is. It's, well, it's absolutely large, and there's a lot of, um, you know, we've got Kat Ironwood out here uh, up in Sebastopol and, and all of her work, and a lot of people pick that up. Um, and we've got a, a huge, you know, Hispanic influence, and so that all ties in. Um, you know, it's it's been wonderful out here, and, and what it, what that system has done to um, kind of waken people up to energy and being energy sensitive and to working with different things has been amazing. I work for a store and we sell a lot of hoodoo products and um, Mm -hmm. every day, I think, you know, we're we're constantly having to restock and we're constantly having to reblend oils and, and all that good stuff. So it's wonderful. wonderful. Oh, it's fabulous. Absolutely. So Utica, speaking of traditions in your books, you really do. You talk about a lot of different traditional aspects um, from many different traditions. Do you practice all of these traditions? I, no. I mean, the book that is probably the closest to me, if you are looking for, a, a, you know, my personal vision, is my first book, which is now known as Pure Magic. That I mean, that's that fertility book that I was mentioning that, you know, where they expanded the chapter. That became Earth Mother Magic, which um, went out of print and Wiser Books republished with a new title, and it's called Pure Magic. And, you know, if you have Pure Magic, it is the same book as Earth Mother Magic which is an old out-of-print book. So, I mean, I see that they're selling Earth Mother Magic for exorbitant prices, but, you know, it's silly. You can buy the same book. I mean, exactly the same book as Pure Magic. And if you're really, if you a book collector and you want an out-of-print book, you can email me and I will be happy to sell you a copy of Earth Mother Magic for a list price. There's no no need to be spending the prices that I see people average. You know, they're book scalpers, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, none of that money goes to either the publisher or, or the writer. So there's no there's no need for you to be digging that deep into your pockets for a book that is available elsewhere. That book is very much reflective of... Um, I wrote that when I was in California, and it's very reflective of me personally. And then the next book I wrote, Magic When You Need It, is uh, very reflective of my return to New York City. It's a little tribute to the Botanica books I grew up with uh, as a teenager on the East Coast. I then, my publisher knew I collected spells. And that goes back to my days of collecting fertility lore. I, I would just come across really interesting spells. And the thing is that when you find things, especially if you find things on the Internet or you find things in library books, if you don't write them down, you will never find them again. And so I, I developed this collection of file cards and my publisher knew, and the publisher asked me if I would write the equivalent of The Joy of Cooking for spell casting. Once you're writing something that's an encyclopedia, that, that has the name, the word encyclopedia in it, it, it can't be just about any individual author's traditions. It has to be uh, representative of the traditions in general. I mean, 
it, it starts out with that tribal concept of spellcasting, which exists all around the world. And the concept, the seed, is, is common to humanity. It's really primordial. How it's expressed depends on culture and history and opportunity and the types of material you have. So, I mean, no one needs 5,000 spells. No individual needs 5,000 spells. What you need is a dozen good spells to work for you. So the whole point of that book was to, to offer uh, sort of a, a, an international tour of spellcasting to give an example of the different varieties. And there are very practical spells in there, and there are spells that I, there are spells that I have cast, and there are spells in there that are mine or were given to me by friends. And then there are some historical spells that are really there just, you know, they're not necessarily practical spells for one reason or another. They're not necessarily there to be put into practice, but maybe more to consider in terms, to serve as inspiration or to consider in terms of the history of spellcasting. Right, right. I tried very hard to be representative because growing up, a lot of the books, and I'm not talking about the old occultist books so much, but a lot of more modern books on Wicca and witchcraft were clearly, the author clearly did not realize that I was reading. I was not the audience they had in mind. Um, and you can tell that, you know, it's something to think about if you're writing a book. Who, who are you writing for? Who is, who is your reader going to be? Because sometimes some books have a very narrow vision of who the reader is culturally or in terms of history. And I mean, I come from maybe a bit of an oddball background, but I, I think I am just way out of the experience of subwriters. And when I read these books, I felt very excluded and in, in not in a happy way. And it was very important to me not to do that to my readers. I want people to find themselves in my books, to feel that they're included. I try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. And so uh, I will go out of my way for these encyclopedias to make sure that, you know, I try to have something from every continent. I, I try to make sure that different traditions are representative. It, it's not about me. You, you know, it's not the Encyclopedia of Judica. It's the Encyclopedia of Spells or the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, or the Encyclopedia of Spirits. So I try to get out of the way, actually, and let the material go to the forefront. And I have, I'm very happy I occasionally get emails from, I got all these emails from these young men in the Philippines telling me how happy they were, because they felt, literally, they felt at home in my book, and that made me very, very happy. So, Judica, your elemental encyclopedias have really become standard material for most witches. Um, how does it feel to have your work become that popular? See, I, 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 don't, I don't have that perspective. I spent most of this decade um, sitting in a room writing. I don't really have a perspective of um, whether I'm popular or not. It, it's, it's hard for me. I, I went to a dinner in uh, the UK several years ago. It was a publisher's dinner. They, uh, it was a dinner for booksellers, and the publisher brought me over. And one of the booksellers asked me, so are you as popular in the U.S. as you are here? And my jaw dropped because I didn't know I was popular anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I have, you know, that makes me very happy. I, I sort of, I, I would like my books to sort of, you know, survive me. And, and it's, if, if they are a standard, I'm really glad. I, I try very hard to write books that represent the tradition as a greater tradition, as a larger, you know, the macrocosm rather than the microcosm. And um, 
they're spiritual works for me. You know, I, I'm very conscious. I, I owe a debt to my subjects, to the to the spells themselves, to the spirits I write about, to um, when you're writing. When I wrote the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, the Element Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, I originally didn't really want to do it. The publisher sort of talked me into it, but I was very conscious that there were very few encyclopedias of witchcraft that are written from within the community. They tend to be written by outside observers, and there are some exceptions. But that is a real point of pride for me, that I feel that I can represent those who, uh, you know, perished for their associations with the occult, those who perished because of accusations, um, whether true or not, that they were witches. So I'm, I, I feel them, you know. I, they're my spiritual ancestors, and I, I feel I have a debt to them. So that that's very important to me. So speaking of, of these elemental encyclopedias, one of the uh, kind of interesting things is that you, you can't really walk into, um, uh, you know, a, a shop like uh, like mine and find the encyclopedias because there's there's some restrictions. Yeah, you can now. You can oh, you now. can. Well, there you go. Well, then we'll be making that except, happen. Except for, except for the element encyclopedia of witchcraft, okay. which is not available in the United States. Okay. It is available everywhere else. And you can order it online, or you can order it from me, or you can you know go to Amazon.com Canada, or you can you can buy it in Slovenia, <laughs> <laughs> but you can't get it in the U.S. Um, but the as of for a long time, Element Books was not distributing uh, books in the United States, and so Five Thousand Spells was a hot commodity and and could not be. But but now there is a new American edition of Five Thousand Spells. It's got a different cover. So when we're one of the things that's kind of been interesting to me is that like if I wanted your books I had to go to Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. and that was where I could go to get your books aside from you know buying them online. Uh, what what prompted that? Because I know that wasn't necessarily a you decision. Um, no, it, it was absolutely not my decision. Right. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. I was very very upset about it. Um, you couldn't even buy them online. Harper, what happened is that. HarperCollins is a really big publisher, and there are different divisions that the element, you know, the element in the title actually refers to the publishing house. Um, Element Books used to be an independent British publishing house that um, was eventually, um, it it went out of business actually right before my first book, um, which ended up published by someone else, uh, was published, became part of HarperCollins. And HarperCollins in 2006 stopped distributing books in the United States and instead had a corporate agreement to distribute books through Barnes and Noble. And so it wasn't just my books. It was Harper Elements' entire line was only available in the United States through Barnes and Noble. But it's not the sort of thing, you know, when, when, when a store like Target has an exclusive, they advertise. Barnes and Noble, you know, they had the exclusive, but people didn't know. And so if you didn't live near, you know, if you went to Barnes and Noble, you could find my books easily and often at a very good price. But if you didn't know that, all of a sudden the books disappeared and there are all kinds of conspiracies about, you know, stories about why the books disappeared. And um, quite honestly, a lot of shopkeepers, independent shopkeepers, contributed to these stories because, their clientele would ask them to order the book for them, and rather than say, I can't get them, they're not wholesaling them in the United States. I mean, I saw the things that people wrote online. I mean, they never 
even contacted me just you know people were said that they 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 chose not to sell the book which you know maybe they did but they couldn't get it anyway um or 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 they didn't want to answer questions about the book which you know and as somebody who has worked in retail retailers should always be willing to answer questions about anything they sell uh, you know, uh, there was a conspiracy story that Barnes & Noble was buying up all copies so that people couldn't cast spells. It was, you know, a religious right sort of thing. I, I mean, all kinds of just wild stories. But it was basically a corporate agreement. And the irony was that Barnes & Noble was selling it at list price or under. And meanwhile, on eBay, people were bidding ridiculous sums I mean, I'm very honored. I shouldn't say ridiculous. I'm very honored that people consider my book worthy of the hundreds of dollars that they were paying. I'm very flattered and very honored and, you know, but it wasn't fair of people to be charging those prices for something that, that could have been, you know, gotten otherwise. But in 2000, the beginning of this year, Harper, there is a new American edition. It's not called the Element Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells. It's just the Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells because Element refers to the publisher, and this is published by a different division of HarperCollins. It's got a cover that's exclusive to the United States, and I've been told that people in in Europe actually, you know, this book has become hot over there because it's not really sold over there. So, you know, it, it, there's a lot of sort of strange publishing history with this book, but you can get it, and it is available through all wholesalers. And if you're not sure, I, I have pictures of both um, covers on my website and also on my Facebook page, and you can contact me, and it is not a hard book to get anymore. I hope that one day the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft will be available in the U.S. I think I was Harper Elements' only United States writer, so um, it maybe didn't affect other writers as much as it affected me but but for me it was a real hardship not being able to to get my books in this country i couldn't get them either really well and thank you for clarifying that because i know there there was a lot of stuff that was you know circulating and i'm like you know and i'm listening to this stuff and i go okay first of all what author does not want their book when it's you know as as it's being published to not be available i i i made i it was a financial loss for me that my book was not available I, I made no money from that deal. Believe me, quite the opposite. <laughs> it, it it was not it was not to my advantage. Well, and on any level, well, there you, and there you go, guys. Now you know what's going on with that. Uh, like I said, we we really needed that to be clarified. I am I am really happy that Harper One has uh, put in San Francisco. Harper One has put out this American edition. It's it's a little bit lighter. It's easier to mail. It's a little less expensive to mail. And um, so now, like, you know, all these online places have free shipping, which you couldn't get with the other edition. Um, and, and if you do want the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, you, you can get it. Um, it's, it is literally sold everywhere in the world except the United States. So you just have to look at an international seller and look at a copy. We Everybody knows, you know, like I said, because your, your work, the encyclopedias are just standard. Um, but you write other books besides the encyclopedias, and you are a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. Um, and you. I know I've I've been I've had the pleasure of, of reading through you know some of your books, and I recommend that, of course you know working in the store. Other book besides you know, your first book and 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 then these encyclopedias, do you feel really approaches and directs uh, its writing towards our a modern audience? They're like all my children. 
it's hard for me to pick one over the other. Um, they, they kind of all complement each other. I wrote 5,000 Spells. I mean, that was sort of, I was asked to do that, and I did that. And every other book I've done, I think, has come out of that book, in, in a sense. Um, the problem with, it doesn't look like it. For those who are unfamiliar with these encyclopedias, there are 1,000 pages. And 1,000 pages may seem like a lot, and it is. But when you're trying to squeeze all this information, there's always something that gets left out. And so all my other books, sort of one book um, supplements the other. One of the problems I had, one of my frustrations with 5,000 spells, is if you're not familiar with the spell casting process, it looks like it's a lot of random ingredients. You know, why is this ingredient in there, in, in this spell? Why is this component, this botanical component in there, or this mineral? But there's actually a reason. There's nothing random about any spell. There just isn't necessarily room in a book to explain the whys of every single spell. And so one of the joys of writing the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft is that there is a section on plants associated with spells and witches. And I was able to devote time to actually writing about all these different ingredients that end up in spells. And then the Encyclopedia of Spirits also, you know, when a spell is directed towards a saint or a spirit or, uh, you know, an angel or, or any sort of a spiritual being, again, that's not random. It's easier to accomplish the spell and to have a spiritual experience if you actually understand why that particular being is incorporated. You asked me earlier about um, magical experiences I've had. When, when I teach workshops, I often focus on all the spells I've done that have gone wrong because I think you learn more from the things that have gone wrong. And one of um, my famous failures is the first time I did the Sanalejo spell, which is a, a banishing spell. Sanalejo is Spanish for St. Alexius. But at the time, I didn't know. Someone told me, oh, well, you know, you have this problem here. Go do the spell. And I did it, but I didn't understand the first thing about it. It was just very rote, and in fact, it did not work. Years later, I do, I really comprehend Sanalejo, the person, the being behind this spell, and I am working now on an encyclopedia of saints in, in which he will be featured, and I know that now if I were to do it, I am 100% sure that spell would work for me because I have that knowledge. And so the Encyclopedia of Spirits or the forthcoming Encyclopedia of Saints tries to provide that knowledge, tries to fill in those blanks. The book that I did just now, I've done two field guides for Weiser, Weiser Publishing, mm -hmm. and those are probably the most fun I've had. They're little mini encyclopedias, and having written the big ones, the minis are kind of fun to write. But again, all the stuff that, that ended up, um, things that ended up getting cut out or I didn't have time to really uh, write in as much depth as I wanted. They all end up in, a, in, a, in another book. So, so that, that's the pleasure of writing those. One book just leads to another. And I'm, you know, and I'm glad you, you, you brought up the, the spell. A lot of the things um, that I think we ha a lot of the concepts and that we have in, in the craft is that you can just approach, um, you know, some sort of spirit or, or a deity, have mm -hmm. no prior knowledge of them, 
right. then expect that they're just going to do what it is that you want them to do. You know, it's it's like walking up to somebody on the side of the road and asking for money. It, most of the time, you're going to turn your cheek and walk away. Um, Every once in a while, it works. Right. And sometimes, you know, what is the saying? That which you are seeking is causing you to seek. Sometimes when you approach a spirit, even though you don't have the knowledge, um, the first time I ever did it, I did it right. I did it perfectly. And I had no knowledge, no conscious knowledge. Now, you could argue that I had a past life knowledge. You could argue that the spirit was sort of leading me along the way. I didn't need to have the conscious knowledge because I was being led. I was being guided. I did it perfectly down to the way I did it, down to um, the timing. But I didn't know I did it perfectly until years later. (laughs) Um, So every once in a while, something like that does work. But it is very much like, as you say, walking up to a stranger and, you know, help me. Right. But even when you do that, imagine yourself, you know, there are two scenarios there. One is that you're on an empty street and it's a rural area and there's nobody on the street except one person and you have no choice. You know, it's that person or or no one else. The alternative is that you're on a busy urban street and you could choose anyone, but you choose that person. And, and, And why is that? On some level, we are not always operating from our conscious mind. We, we operate on instinct and intuition and subliminal messages, and those are the things that you need to tap into for successful magical practice. And some people are really good at it. Some people's instincts are really spot on. And some people, you know, have, have a real talent for always asking the wrong person. That's You know, always picking the wrong lover, always, you know. Though, if that is your experience, you have to be careful with working with spirits. Because you are just as likely to approach the wrong spirit as you are to approach the wrong person. That is that is very well put. That is very well put. So, Judica, you have you know you've written these books and you've got this wealth of knowledge you know that's that's swirling around in your brain. So, well, let me ask you this: If you could say there was one particular spell that every witch should know, because it, it, it's it's you know it's often successful or the energies that it brings, you know, manifest in a specific way. What would that spell be? What, what do the masses need to know? I don't know that there's one spell that suits all. I don't think it's like a one size fits all thing. I think that if I could impress one thing, it's to really listen to your words. Ultimately it is your own power that fuels a spell that is, you know, the crucial ingredient of everyone's spell. It's why I, I really encourage people to cast their own spells, because your power is the power you can rely on the most. Your desire for whatever it is that you need is, is the greatest. But where people get messed up is the inability to hear what they're actually saying. And there's a lot of self-sabotage, but it's unconscious self-sabotage. If spellcasting beyond achieving the goals of the individual spell has a lot of gifts, and one of the things it will do is it will teach you to see what's in front of you and to hear what other people are really saying to you and what you are actually saying. 
And if you, once you develop that of hearing the nuances of language, you can make all sorts of adjustments without a formal spell. There's kind of two types of spell work. There's a formal spell that you prepare for and, you know, you check the phases of the moon and you, you gather your materials and, you know, it's 7 o'clock and I'm going to start. But then you have the spontaneous, that spontaneous bending of energy. That's spontaneous, and that's something that you could be doing all day long. That spontaneous responding to the people around you. And that is what I would teach people to do. I mean, when I teach spellcasting classes, that's a lot of what I focus on is really listening, really hearing the, the complete nuances of words because you can take back so much control over your life and destiny with that. The actual formal spell, different people have different spells. I mean, you know, the spell that I do most frequently, I am constantly working with the Archangel Michael. That is a constant every day for years and years and years. And I do recommend it to a lot of people, and I teach it to a lot of people. And, you know, it, it, people write to me, and they, they, they tell me how successful it has been for them and how meaningful, it's how spiritual meaningful it is. But if you're somebody who doesn't believe in angels or who, you know, if you don't like the concept of angels, well, you know, that, that's sort of a waste of time for you then. Beautiful. No, absolutely beautiful. So, Judica, when can we expect a new book? There I wrote. I did a lot of writing in 2010. 2010, inadvertently, I, I, I started off the year with nothing to write, and then I kind of inadvertently took on a lot of projects. So the Wiser Field Guide to Witches, which is a mini encyclopedia to witches, not witchcraft. The focus was witches. Uh, that was published October 1st in the United States and November 1st in Canada, and then there is another field guide coming for me, but this one was written under a pseudonym, so this is a bit of a secret, uh, open secret. The Wiser Field Guide to P- the Paranormal, I think, will be published December 1st, but it's under the name Judith Joyce. And then there's a bit of a break, and those are both mini-encyclopedias. I'm very happy with them. The Guide to the Paranormal, I focused on the personalities of a lot of the people involved in the paranormal, actually understanding them, uh, the Fox sisters and um, the uh, people involved with the UFO phenomenon, the phenomenon and, you know, just actually getting involved with the people. So that I, I think it's really easy sometimes to look at things superficially and it's in to write off experiences. You know, Barney and Betty Hill, if you don't really know about them, it's really easy to write off their, experience, their experiences. When you get to uh, familiar with the actual personality of people, people involved with spiritualism, with physical mediumship, you appreciate the real mystery of it more than if you don't really know anything about them. Arthur Conan Doyle, who is a major spiritualist, you know, it, it just sounds, it's very superficial to you to really appreciate what that meant to him personally. I have another encyclopedia coming out. I believe the publishing date is October 2011, but that may change. It might be a little bit later. It might be a little bit earlier. This will be uh, a book devoted to saints from many spiritual traditions, another 1,000-page book, uh, lots of rituals, lots of information. It's going to be similar to my Encyclopedia of Spirits um, in style, 
but expanding into uh, the notion of saints. You you teach and you you go around. So where where can we see you this year? I teach, but I I, I try to keep my schedule flexible because my books are big and I need to um, I need to devote a lot of time to those books. I will be in Montreal uh, the first weekend in December. I believe it's the fifth and the sixth. I think it's a Saturday and a Sunday. The Magical Blend store has a free Yule Fest, which is a really, really nice thing. You can come out and there'll be a lot of um, – Christopher Penzak will be there also this year. I've gone last year, too. Um, they do all kinds of workshops. The workshops are free. I'll be doing readings this year. Readings are not free, but you can sign up online. And uh, I will be at Sacred Space in February. Sacred Space is in Baltimore. That's also a really kind of special – conference because it's a three-day conference in a hotel so there's a lot of sort of time to socialize and relax and i'll be teaching a number of workshops there and i think diana paxson will be there this year and there'll be other people also i'm not quite sure who but i know that i'm looking forward to uh taking on diana paxson's workshops and i will be in montclair new jersey in january i'll be doing a spell casting workshop there I am not everything should be up on my website. If it's not, you can find me on Facebook. My website is www.judicatless.com, J U D I K A I L E S on on all the social networks because writers have to do their own publicity. Uh Twitter, MySpace, Facebook, I'm on all of them. And uh, I I usually try to post all the things up to that. I think I will be in Tennessee in May, but that is not entirely formalized yet, but I think I will be at Pagan Unity, the festival in May, and I am not quite sure what else is on the schedule, but I I hope to be making some more appearances because I really enjoy the the teaching aspect. I really enjoy that personal aspect of being able to actually communicate with people in person as opposed to just through, through media. So if we want to find out more information about you, we can go to your website, which is yes. uh, com, yes. right? And you're on Twitter and Facebook, MySpace. and you're all over the I map. I am all over the so, map. And there you go. So guys, check her out for sure. Um, you know her books. You love her books. Um, and, and thank you so much for coming on the oh, show. my pleasure. Uh, Anytime. So, all right, guys. Well, you heard it here at the Modern Witch Podcast. Today's Pagan Pop Culture for the Modern Witch. Um, we're going to be right back after this commercial break with Paul Bogle, and we're going to take a look at this month and uh, witchy astrology. When you are searching for spirit, it's time to enter the mystic dream. We are a metaphysical and magical marketplace specializing in books, tools, and services for the spiritual journey. We are proud to offer a diverse selection of candles, herbs, oils, ritual tools, crystals, and art from a myriad of cultures and spiritual paths. Visit our Walnut Creek, California location, where we are host to some of the most talented readers and spiritual arts practitioners around. Tarot, runes, psychic readings, Reiki, astrology, massage. We also offer custom consultations and conjure work, such as setting lights and ritual work to help you meet your magical needs. Visit us on the web at www.themysticdream.com for our ever-growing online store, as well as our listing of classes and events. Or call us at 925-933-2342. The Mystic Dream, where ancient wisdom meets the new aeon. Brr. 
It's frosty this December in the neighborhood of the Modern Witch Podcast Studio. It's likely that your rituals and observances will be indoors this time of year, unless you belong to the Pagan Polar Bear Club. Nonetheless, your celebrations want to be joyful and hearty this December, due to the fact that it is eclipse season again. The waxing new to full phase is a prime time for potent magic making, as long as some astrological influences are accounted for. December begins in a balsamic moon phase prior to the new moon in Sagittarius on Sunday, December 5th. It's a great few days to clean up, clear out, seed some intentions for the next month, and generally organize and make space in your head and any physically cluttered or untidy spaces. The new moon bursts upon the scene with a rush of excitement and heightened intuition. Keep your compass handy because all kinds of bright ideas will flash like lightning. Whether these brainstorms lead you in directions that are congruent or tangential to your path will need to be sorted out swiftly, so keep grounded and keep your mind clear. The planetary archetype heightening the frequencies and unsettling vibe is Uranus, generator of the bold new ideal, innovator, rebel, and fanatic. Therefore, try to avoid slipping into the collective frenzy and use the willpower offered at this lunation to be your own master, go at your own best natural pace, and stay poised to respond to unexpected hurdles and opportunities. This amped up atmosphere will get weirdly unstable by Wednesday the 8th due to the dare I speak it, station retrograde of Mercury, which officially occurs Friday the 10th, North America time. Don't shoot the messenger, just be forewarned. From December 10th to December 30th, with a couple wobble days on each side for caution's sake, expect the usual communication and commute snafus, and if you're participating in Santa Claus ritual, Beware of purchasing anything that needs batteries, uses electricity, or has to do with communication, exchange, recording, or transmission of information. This includes CDs and DVDs also. If you get electronics, do not be surprised if glitches, delays, fixes, and returns are required if the gift giver made the purchase in the two weeks before Christmas. Time will warp and changes are the big theme leading up to the winter solstice lunar eclipse. You heard that right. So just go back as recently as the crazy days of early summer of this year to remind your bad self how intense eclipse seasons are these days. This lunar eclipse will be visible in clear skies from Northern Europe, across North and South America to the end of Umbra in Japan. In Gemini, this ultra-strong long night's moon can foster not just rapid thinking and collective ADD tendencies. This superlunation is about fundamental shifts in attitude and outlook. Your words carry power to hurt or to heal. Invoke wisely and speak with care and intention. 
If it all seems too much, it probably is and will be. But sometimes too much is what is needed for a climax, a satiation, a re-evaluation, and resolution. All right. Well, that was an amazing interview with Judica Illis. And if you want to find out more about her, just go to her website, which is just www.judicaillis.com. Um, and again, thank you, Paul, for that awesome forecast. Um, Paul is an amazing guy. And he, hey, and you know what? You can win an hour session with Paul um, by going ahead and sending in your entries for the uh, 12 Days of Yule contest. And you can find out more information about the 12 Days of Yule contest by going to www.themodernwitchpodcast.com. And uh, we, we put all the information on there. And really all it is is um, essentially you guys send us your worst spell or ritual experience. And we will read them. We've already gotten quite a few entries. Um, and you, we'll read them. And uh, we will divvy out 12 gifts um, that, that we're providing here at the store. So, um, we've got signed CDs from Celia. Um, CDs or Celia's brand new album. Um, she gave us a copy and signed it. Um, we've got uh, signed copies of G'day Parma's book. We've got a session with Paul. We've got sessions with me. You've got um, six free birth charts. There's all kinds of stuff. So check that out for sure. Um, again, you can find out that by going to www.themodernwitchpodcast.com. And hey, check out the website anyway. There's a lot of really cool stuff. There's a community um, grimoire, Book of Shadows, um, that you know we spent some time doing. And each time we go through, um, I try to add and update it as much as possible. And feel free to send me some spells because um, I will definitely put them in the book of shadows as well so and i'll credit you and all that good stuff and again you can do all that by sending me um an email at modernwitchpodcast at gmail.com um, follow us on facebook by going to facebook.com slash modernwitchpodcast i know there's a lot of uh internet-y stuff um, we are our podcast so there you go um, and you can find out all the latest information about um, you know what's going on with the show and the guests on the show and all that good stuff um, by following us on Facebook or on Twitter. You can you can follow us by um, the, and our Twitter name is at Modern Witch PC. Check that out as well. Uh, in the meantime, I want to wish everyone a happy and prosperous uh, Yule season. If you are um, doing some Yule shopping, check out the Mystic Dream. They do have an awesome online store, and there's a lot of really cool magical um, supplies that you can find on there. A lot of crystals and candles and all kinds of good stuff. So check that out for sure. Um, they are sponsors of the show, and without them, we wouldn't be here. So um, we really, really appreciate that. Uh, and other than that, I hope you guys have a wonderful season, and I will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Again, check out uh, the YouTube channel, especially um, the first weekend of December, um, because we're going to be posting a special video. There's a special uh, person who will be joining me in the studio on Saturday, and uh, I don't think you guys are going to want to miss that video. So check it out. Um, and yeah, so I hope everyone's having a great day, and I hope you have a prosperous and wonderful winter, and uh, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Bye.